Hi, my name is Thomas, and this is Let's Talk About, a bi-weekly podcast where I talk about things, things I like, things going on in the world, and things I want to learn more about. This week, I'm shaking things up a bit by talking about two things in the same topic, weird history. Today, I'll be talking about two different stories, both weird, one a little bit more bizarre than the other. So, without further ado, let's dive in. Our first story today is about the Great Western Schism that lasted from 1378 to 1417, that tore the church into two and then three camps. The schism started at the end of the Babylonian captivity, where the papacy was controlled by the French monarchy from 1309 to 1377. The last French pope was Gregory XI, who died in 1378. When the cardinals gathered together to elect a new pope, the Roman population was very vocal about having a Roman pope. The very next day, Bartolomeo, Prignano was elected, but before it could be announced that an Italian had been chosen, a mob broke in the Vatican and the cardinals fled. For the first five months of Bartolomeo, who began going by Urban VI papacy, things were going well, but slowly the cardinals began to have misgivings about him. Urban was a very extreme pope. He announced his plan to reform the church and condemn the cardinals for their luxuries. The cardinals turned against him and eventually left Rome, before eventually publishing a manifesto claiming his election as void, saying that the overwhelming pressure from Rome made it impossible to have a free election. They then proceeded to elect a rival pontiff, Robert of Geneva, who took the name Clement VII. The church was directly split into two parties, and the two popes promptly excommunicated each other. Clement wasn't able to remove Urban from Rome, so he set up shop in Avignon, France in 1379. Thus, the schism began. Western Europe was forced to align themselves with either Urban or Clement. France, Castile, Aragon, Scotland, and Savoy sided with Clement, while England, Bohemia, the Holy Roman Empire, Hungary, Flanders, and Northern and Central Italy backed Urban. If things weren't complicated enough, they were about to get a lot worse. Pope Urban VI died in 1389, and after his death, the Cardinals decided to elect a new Pope instead of placing Clement in the Vatican, thus furthering the schism. Boniface IX was elected to replace him, and when Pope Clement died, they elected Pope Benedict XIII to fill the void in Avignon. The University of Paris proposed a solution that to fix a schism, both pontiffs should resign, aberration by judges or a general council would go into place. When Boniface died, the cardinals elected Innocent VII, who only reigned for two years, and after him was Gregory XII. In 1407, both the Roman and Avignon popes agreed to resign, but neither man trusted the other, and neither went through with the agreement. Now strap in, because things are about to get even more complicated. Gregory XII created four new cardinals, two of which were his nephews. His cardinals withdrew their support, as well as over in Avignon, Benedict's cardinals also abandoned him, and thirteen agreed to create a council to seal the schism. The two popes both refused to attend and tried to stop it by calling councils of their own. In all, 500 bishops attended the council. During the meeting, the council elected that it spoke for the entire church and the cardinals had the power to gather it. When the two sitting popes refused to answer their summons, the council removed them from power. In June of 1409, Alexander V was then elected, and while the majority of Europe recognized him as the pope, the schism stayed the same because neither the popes would abdicate, and then there were three. But things were looking up. In 1413, Emperor Sigismund convinced the Pisan claimant John XXIII to form a new council with the goal of healing the schism. The council met on November 5, 1414, and agreed that voting should be by nations, with each nation having one vote. Realizing that the council had no intention of electing him as pope, 
John XXIII had left in 1415, hoping the council would dissolve, but Emperor Sigismund convinced the prelates to stay and continue. On April 6th, the council enacted the Sacrosancta Decree, which allowed the council full control of the Universal Church and controlled all members, including the Pope. The council demoted John XXIII and Gregory XII, and two years later, Benedict XIII was demoted after refusing to submit to the council. Now that all three popes were gone, the cardinals were free to elect a single pope, and on November 11, 1417, they elected Martin V, who effectively ended the schism, although Benedict XIII continued to refer to himself as pope until his death in 1423, when his cardinals elected Clement VIII until he submitted to Martin V six years later. And there you have it, the story of the Great Schism. But how did the schism actually affect the church? Well, to understand that, we first have to understand how powerful the church was. So let's start with how it affected the people and community around them. The Middle Ages were a period of great difficulty for everybody living in them. Most people worked hard hours every day with little to show for it. The only time people were allowed any reprieve was on Sundays when they could gather for church and spend time with the community. But it was also a lot more than that. The church was a massive powerhouse that controlled everything. Peasants often had to give up a portion of their wheat to work on church land and for no restitution, as well as paying a tithe, 10% of their annual earnings, which was paid on top of the king's tax, which was usually some livestock or produce. Seeing as most peasants couldn't afford to pay money, the tithe was often collected in grain. Most peasants struggled to make ends meet without taxes. The tithe made life a constant struggle. And why did everybody live under the constant rule of the church's thumb? Easy. They were told that if they didn't provide, they would be barred access from heaven. It's easy today to look at religion objectively. We have access to all of human knowledge, and any question we have can instantly be answered by a quick Google search. But that wasn't the case for anybody living in the Middle Ages. In medieval Europe, almost everybody lived by the church's doctrine. They believed that it was either heaven or hell when they died, and the church capitalized on that at every turn. As well as paying tithes, you had to pay to be baptized, and if you weren't baptized, you couldn't be buried on hallowed ground which meant that you wouldn't gain entrance into heaven and be stuck in limbo forever. While the church continued to accumulate wealth, they continued to pay no taxes, which gave them huge economic power, surpassing the wealth of some monarchs. Bishops and clergy owed no allegiance to the monarchy, but to the Pope instead, while kings and queens were also subject to people authority. In short, the church was law. It had control over everything, and its say was final in every situation. So, how did the schism affect the church? Well, for starters, this conflict fell about halfway through the Renaissance period. While primarily known for art, it was also known as when people began revolting against the church, and this put them into a new perspective of being weaker than they had ever been. Clearly, the cardinals couldn't control a single pope, and then to have three running at the same point, it was just a whole mess. It also led to open hostility against the pope, and led directly to the Protestant Reformation. Well, now it's the story of the Great Western Schism, from the start of two excommunicated popes to the Protestant Reformation. And now for story number two. This one is bizarre, to say the least. It's about the mysterious lost colony of Roanoke. The year was 1587, and 115 English settlers had arrived on Roanoke Island, just off the coast of modern-day North Carolina. However, later in the year, the colony was running low on supplies, and it was decided that the governor, John White, would sail back to England and gather some more supplies. Now, this is where things start to become mysterious. What we know for sure is that John White arrived in England safely. While he was there, a major naval war began with Spain, and Queen Elizabeth I called on every available ship to fight in the war. It was three long years before John White was able to return to Roanoke, but when he finally landed, his wife, family, and all the other members of the colony had disappeared without a trace, except for a single clue. Croatoan, 
was carved into a wooden post. So let's discuss a couple theories of what may have happened. The first seems the most likely. With the colony running low on supplies, they may have gotten word that there were supplies on an island not far from where they were. Coincidentally, the name of that island was Croatoan. John White had actually tried to sail to the island of Croatoan on three separate occasions. John White had actually tried to sail to the island of Croatoan on three separate occasions, but was forced to turn back each time due to storms. The second theory, which is also fairly likely, was that the colonists were captured by an indigenous tribe and were brought over to Croatoan Island unwillingly, only having time to leave that single word as a hint. Not much is known about what happened to John White after that. It is supposed that he died in Ireland in 1606. And that is a story about the tragic Roanoke mystery. Were they kidnapped, leave of their own accord, or did something else happen? I'm not going to get into too much details of this one, guys. I'd like to leave this one a mystery. You know, there are some archaeological digs. If that's something you would like to hear more about, let me know, and I'm happy to cover it. But for now, we'll leave it there. So, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'll try something a little different this week. Let me know what you thought. If you liked it, you didn't like it. It's probably something you want me to talk more about in the future. My recommendation this week is Fear by Bob Woodward. It's all about Trump in the White House and what's really going on behind that shit show. And it's an amazing read and definitely worth checking out. You can follow me on Instagram at TalkAboutPod or email me at Let's Talk about Pod at Outlook.com. My name is Thomas, and this has been Let's Talk About.